Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture, broadcasting today from Bloomington Normal, Illinois, for the Illinois Corn Growers Association annual meeting. Joining us now is the newly elected president of the Illinois Corn Growers, Ted Matas, who takes over his uh, starts his uh, year as president here today at this annual meeting and and looks ahead to a busy year ahead. Ted, thank you for joining us. Let's talk first of all about 2018. What have been some of the biggest issues and what you feel some of the biggest accomplishments of the Illinois corn growers this past year? Well, of course, I think the biggest issue is anything to do with trade. Uh, the tremendous uh, concern about what direction that we're being we're being led to and I think that was at least at the uh, midpoint of, of this past year it became really uh, can really be an issue and we're concerned of course about anything that affects demand and trade is just a tremendous tremendous thing that we have to have to get back into place and back in the normacy I don't think in discussion with individuals around the room uh, earlier today uh, I, I, I can't get away from at least talking something about ethanol. I mean, we're, uh, ethanol was the savior for the corn industry for a number of years, but we've got to keep, on, keep moving forward, keep moving up, uh, more concerned about uh, fuels with higher octane, also something that will really allow us to expand the market. It's just demand, demand, demand is what, what we have. And in, in 2018 was, I don't have to tell too many people this, it was a strange year in the fact that we started out some places very wet or some places dry. We went through the mid-season, same kind of thing. And this past year, some of the yields are just phenomenal. And that's, one, that's a wonderful thing. But what I first talked about was demand. And, and uh, if we're going to raise those kinds of crop, we've got to have a demand. Yeah, we look around the state of Illinois, and we know a lot of corn and soybeans in storage looking for a home. And every headline you look at now, soybeans uh, are uh, have bought a ticket to stay in that home for a, for a while because uh, they really took a hit. But uh, still, it, it was an interesting yet, some people were very frustrating, but a very good, good year. We're talking with Ted Matas. He's the president of the Illinois Corn Growers Association here at their annual meeting in Bloomington Normal. Uh, let's talk, Ted, about more on ethanol. I know you're encouraged by the president's announcement for year-round sales of E15, but it's not a done deal yet. Oh, no. Uh, still a lot of infrastructure to take care of on that. And uh, you can promise a lot of things, but you've got to come through with what's gonna, what we're going to do. It, well, the sad thing about that is it uh, could have been done a long time ago. Uh, but, you know, things, things are past. We have to look to the future. But that's, that, that was very, very good news. Ethanol industry, obviously very important to the, the state of Illinois, not just Illinois corn growers, but the economy of the state of Illinois, an economy that needs uh, all the help it can get. <laughs> yes, Mike, I would say so. Uh, one thing that we talked about or showed this past week was uh, there was a trade mission that came in here from from uh, uh, the Far East and uh, very interested in high quality uh, uh, corn co products. I mean, we want to have good good quality material to to, uh, 
to use in their markets. It's, uh, it's just, I, I, I'm old enough to remember when we weren't a world figure in, in uh, grain to see what we, what we are now, and it's just mind-boggling on what we're trying to do now. I know a, an emphasis for the Illinois corn growers for as long as I can remember, and that's quite a few years, uh, my association with Illinois corn growers. One of your top priorities has been improvements on locks and dams, <laughs> and you you're continue to work on that, and as we look to 2019 and beyond, that'll continue to be a priority. Absolutely, and, it, and it's just scary to me on how we have let those locks and dams go down. I mean, they... In engineering history, I suppose, you know, they're old. They're 1920s and 1930s, and and uh, honestly, I don't know if we can build them that good anymore. Anymore, but still, we've got to have it done. And and we've, in my tenure, uh, as on the board and with Illinois Corn, I've had the opportunity to uh, go to meetings with, which were directed solely at uh, locks and dams. That's another encouraging thing we're hearing is infrastructure improvement, and, and you cannot talk about infrastructure. We cannot talk about infrastructure just on roads and bridges. we got to have it in the locks and dams. And, of course, coming up in a couple of years, there's going to be uh, quite a bit of work done on the locks and dams, and, and the Illinois River in particular is going to be shut down for a period of time. Um, but... You know, we got to do what we got to do. We'd rather have it shut down and be controlled as opposed to break down and don't know what we're going to do. Dad, also another key issue for farmers across the country, no matter where, what state they're in, that will be uh, sustainability, environmental issues, a lot of uh, attention being paid right now, what's running off those fields, trying to keep those nutrients on the fields, which farmers certainly want to do. But uh, these are challenges and issues moving forward that all farmers will need to uh, focus on even more. Absolutely. And, of course, our biggest challenge in that whole discussion is, is we want to do it on a voluntary basis. We do not want to, have, we do not want to be the Chesapeake Bay uh, situation. We, we don't want to be uh, legislated that we have to do these things. And a lot of good work is, is being done. Uh, I, I served as, on the NREC uh, Council, which uh, nutrient – oh, I never get it right. Anyway, um, we would look at a tremendous amount of uh, research proposals that um, are trying are going after the problems that we're concerned with here. And the thing I taught I taught uh, agriculture for about thirty years or thirty five actually in the high school and the college level, and uh, we used to talk about loss of nutrients, and the, and the number one nutrient that we were concerned about was nitrogen. And I'm not going to say that nitrogen still isn't, but phosphorus has come into the picture. And, uh, of course, quick, we lose phosphorus very quickly through erosion, but still it's in, it's in the discussion, and we have to be cognizant of that. But I emphasize the fact that we, have, we are to be wanting to do these things on a voluntary basis, and and uh, it makes you feel good if you you know you can sol try to solve the problem that we are we are facing at this time, and that's definitely a priority in, in corn growers and all the commodity groups. Because if you don't step up and do it on a voluntary basis, it's going to be mandated. Yes, and uh, not a very mandated and, and regulated, and I think that's very important. I, and I don't disagree. You know, I. I don't think that the Mississippi River was ever clear water if it was all if it was called Big Muddy. 
So, but still, we've got work to do. And there's there's in the field act, in the field things, edge of field things, but we have work to do. You have a lot of work to do this coming year, it sounds like, as president of the Illinois Corn Growers Association. Ted Modest, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. All right, stay with us. Much more coming from the Illinois Corn Growers Annual Meeting, where we're broadcasting from today here in Bloomington Normal. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Family Fire. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York banking departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
Welcome back to AOA, Adams on Agriculture, broadcasting today from central Illinois, Bloomington Normal, for the Illinois Corn Growers Association annual meeting. One of their award winners this year is Pete Fondle, a farmer and teacher at Illinois Central College, recognized for his contributions to the environment and for helping farmers learn about innovative best management practices. Pete, thanks for joining us, and that's a, that's a good area to start because there's so much emphasis right now on sustainability and uh, protecting the environment and still, still having productivity and profitability in farming, even though the profitability is a challenge right now with the markets the way they are, but still that's the goal. How do we make all this work together? Well, basically, I mean, there's, farmers just need to work together, obviously, on a voluntary basis to try to uh, mitigate some of these problems we've got with the Illinois River and the Gulf of Mexico. Um, we're obviously trying to do lots of research and lots of activities to promote conservation practices and uh, edge of field practices that can reduce nutrients leaving the field, obviously reduce erosion. Um, you know, on my own farms, we do lots of different practices, and then at the college level, we've got uh, lots of research projects going on and actually more continuing here in the next several years to try to look at the data and basically prove each practice maybe what it's capable of doing uh, on a scale of you know, reducing nitrates, nitrates and phosphorus from reaching the river and also looking at a little bit of uh, soil erosion as well. We seem, seemingly we depend on technology to fix so many problems today or hope that it can. How do we implement technology and management practices and, and bring this all together? Well, some of the stuff actually isn't new technology. I mean, like use of cover crops. I mean, some of our you know farming history was I mean, farmers used to be in rotations with oats and hay and things like that. And cover crops are similar to that, where you're obviously putting a crop out there during the winter time uh, when our corn and soybeans are obviously been harvested already. Um, we're showing obviously that from some of the data we've got at our college that uh, cover crops can easily reduce nitrates 40% uh, on a pretty easily basis over the winter um, and prevent those from getting to the tile lines. We're also starting to see some effects on phosphorus. Um, that research is more is newer on our campus, so I don't have complete data yet to actually publish numbers, but obviously it looks like there's some phosphorus reduction going on as well. Um, and then in addition to obviously cover crops, there's all the different practices of, um, you know, uh, bioreactors or wetlands or things that come down on the edge of the field practices or saturated buffers. Uh, we've got a few of those now on our campus. We're looking at that data as well. Um, our um, bioreactor has been there now in operation for a year, for two years. Um, and then hopefully this spring we're putting in a one acre wetland. And again, we'll have research looking at the, how that wetland's performing uh, going into the future as well. Um, so like I said, we've got lots of different things we're looking at and trying to see what this data is really going to show. When I talk with farmers about cover crops, some are all in. They believe totally in it and are implementing them, but others are pretty skeptical. Uh, what, what's the story? What's the message that you want to get out about cover crops? Well, obviously, you get these farmers need to look at, obviously, cover crops are looking at it as another expense, which it is. Obviously, it's an, there's a cost to that cover crop and putting it out there. Um, and what's really hard to prove for some farmers, I think, is what, how are they regaining those dollars back? Um, because it's not, like, it's not like a dollar for dollar where if you, you, know, you sell a bushel of corn, you know what you're making. The cover crops, it's more of a, you got to look at the data over a long term. Um, and a lot of it has to do with soil health and improving your soil structure. Um, which obviously you're not going to see that effect probably in one year. It's probably going to take a few years for that to happen. Um, I'm hoping to get some data eventually that will show, you know, show some of that information. But I, I, you know, from all the work we've done at the college and as well as my personal farms, if you use cover crops probably three years in a row, um, three to four, you will start to see a major change in your soil profile and your microbial population and things like that. Probably in year three is what I've been seeing. Um, and obviously, once you make that transition in your soil to where the microbes are there, the population's heavy, your soil structure's reformed, um, a lot of that stuff that we're doing with essentially tillage now or in um, practices like that, you're basically nature will take that over and kind of do that for you. Um, so I think, like I said, I think it's a little more longer term, looking at it over a little bit, little bit longer period than just a year. 
And uh, like I said, it's a little tough to put numbers to it, exact precise numbers, but if you start looking at increases in organic matter and soil structure and soil microbial activity, I think that data starts to, get, you know, starts to play out where those dollars are coming back. Um, and then obviously in yield potential as well, um, when you're not doing hardly any tillage at all and you're still pulling the same yields as people are that are doing ex pretty extensive tillage, I think those numbers are kind of there to show that. How do you know what cover crops would be best on a particular farm? Well, I think you need to look at, um, a farmer needs to look at on a field-by-field -field basis, if there's a problem with that field, what's the issue, you know, whether it's too wet, too compacted, uh, you know, whatever, what is the issue they're trying to solve, and then find the cover crop that actually helps uh, cure that issue. Um, I know the common ones being used, obviously, in Illinois are cereal rye is probably the number one cover crop being used everywhere. Um, you know, there's also, but there's other cover crops to look at, annual ryegrass, winter barley, radishes, rapeseed, um, all have their places in the mix of cover crops. And again, I think it just boils down to what is the issue you're having in your field, how can we address it, and which cover crop species is best going to fix that issue that you're having problems with. We're talking with Illinois farmer and teacher at Illinois Central College, Pete Fondle, at the uh, Illinois Corn Growers Association annual meeting. Uh, Pete, as we take a look at how we you know, we're, we're, we're looking at water quality, we're talking about soil conservation. There are so many aspects now that we're, we're trying to get a better handle on. How much progress do you feel we, we've made? When we look at production agriculture today, how far have we come in the last several years? Well, I think we've come a long ways. Obviously, most farmers are in some kind of reduced tillage format. Um, I know, well, like, you know, the, probably the biggest issue for tillage is when you're doing corn on corn continuously, you know, having to deal with all the extra residue that's out there. I think that's probably the biggest challenge that's still out there for in a lot of farmers' minds is how do we deal with all that um, extra residue, that nine tons per acre plus that that corn crop's producing and kind of getting that out of the way for the next year's corn crop. And I think that's being resolved in some degree. Um, I think we're starting to get some data and showing, you know, if you get your microbial populations built up in your fields, how quickly that organic matter can actually break down uh, in the environment if you have that natural processes going on. Um, so I think, like I said, but I think we're definitely making progress as farmers using cover crops, reduced tillage. I think more data is getting generated, which is probably convincing more farmers that this might be a, a, an avenue or route to go. And then again, some of these sideline practices or edge of field practices, um, if a farmer doesn't want to specifically do something within the field, you know, we can maybe do something on the edge of their tile line or the edge of the field that maybe won't affect their productivity of the whole field, but obviously be able to clean that tile water before it leaves their property or, leave, or gets to the Illinois River. Let's talk more about that. What can be done edge of field? Uh, what do you see as the future there as we move forward? Well, I mean, I think the one that's probably the most, uh, I guess, probably acceptable to farmers because it's not really going to take land out of production is maybe the use of a bioreactor. Um, basically, you just go in and you basically uh, cut your tile line, uh, dig a small pit, fill it with either corn cobs or wood chips or some heavy carbon source uh, and let your tile water flow through that carbon source. Um, and their natural, natural microbes in the soil that um, uh, break down carbon need nitrogen in their stomachs basically to do that. Um, and so they'll pull all the extra nitrogen out of that tile of water to use as a food source essentially to help break down all that carbon. And I think that, you know, the bioreactor we have on the campus is showing tremendous results. And I think if you look at all the data from the U of I and several other land-grant institutions, that, you know, those bioreactors are doing a tremendous job at reducing nitrates. And I think it's a pretty easy practice to do. Um, I think there's other ones, obviously, wetlands and things like that, but those become a little more, I think, of a challenge because you might have to take some land out of production to do that. But then there's also the uh, saturated buffers. Um, you know, those are kind of a cross between the two. So I think, like I said, as we get more data and figuring out where these things fit in the environment and how well they can, a uh, farmer can actually implement those practices um, and not influence their overall production a lot, but obviously help the environment, I think that's probably the direction we're eventually going to be heading. Of course, the other challenge is implementing this, 
any cost that's involved in getting started, especially when you're in a down economy like this? Oh, absolutely. With the prices the way they are currently, with the marketing situation that's going on, it makes it tougher for farmers to be able to invest dollars like that in those types of situations. But I think, you know, overall, if the um, general society or, or legislators or whatever are looking at environmental concerns, um, hopefully they'll maybe increase some dollars into conservation and some practices that farmers can use on their fields to correct some of those issues. What do you see as the next big step that needs to be taken? I mean, we, we've made progress, but what's the hurdle to overcome to take the next big step forward? Well, I think right now, obviously, we know some of these practices work now. I think it's just generating the exact data to put dollars and cents to it so it actually we can, we can convince farmers that there is a, you know, a dollar per dollar, you know, savings or whatever. Because um, right now, all the practices are showing promise and showing that they're working. But to try to get an exact dollar figure on what that's saving you or how that's making you money back becomes a little more, a little more of a complex issue. Um, but I think as we continue to go in the future and get more data generated, I think that's the kind of stuff that we'll be able to uh, put it to dollars and cents, actual figures that will actually make, make probably convince farmers it might be a more practical thing to do. You know, it, it reminds me of years ago when no-till was a new concept and there was skepticism and, and doubts and a lot of farmers were kind of leery of it until they could see the benefits of it and look how far that's come in a relatively short period of time. Right, and I think we're exactly in that same situation. It's a kind of, a, you know, there's new practices, new things, new ways of doing it, and obviously just getting enough data generated from the, from the universities and colleges um, to show, you know, what the effect is, and exactly, like I said, dollars generated or dollars saved, maybe, um, would be a better way to state that, and how this is going to impact your overall farming operation, and how you can continue to farm and still, can, still get tremendous yields, just maybe switching up the way you've been farming uh, so far. But you have to look at it as a long-term uh, commitment, and it's a management practice. Oh, absolutely. It is a long-term commitment. Like I said, I, if you just try cover crops for one year, you're probably not going to see much of a benefit. I mean, you'll see probably a little water quality improvement, a little erosion control. But if you really want to look at the long-term soil health and changing of those properties, you know, that takes multiple years for that to happen. Uh, but once it does, you can definitely see that shift start to occur in your soils. Pete, thanks a lot, and uh, good luck. It'll be interesting to see how this progresses and uh, the educational process that's underway with it. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that's Pete Fondel. He is a farmer and teacher at Illinois Central College. He teaches agriculture courses and uh, conducts research projects on the, on the campus and uh, really focused on areas such as improving soil health and decreasing nutrient loss. That's going to wrap up this portion of our program from the uh, Illinois Corn Growers Annual Meeting going on here in Bloomington Normal. But stay with us. Much more to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -hmm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean prices trending higher on this Tuesday after Monday's plunge as traders watch for any new developments on trade negotiations ahead of the G20 summit next week. The soybean complex swinging like a pendulum as the U.S.-China trade tensions show promise and then that promise is taken away, replaced by tensions. An estimated 10% of the nation's corn crop, 9% of the soybean crop still left in the field as of Sunday. According to USDA, 91% of the nation's soybeans harvested as of Sunday. That's five points behind the five-year average. Corn harvest, 90% complete, behind the five-year average of 93. March corn extended lower on Monday. The contract testing trend line support right around 373 and a half. We're trending near 372 and three quarters an hour into this Tuesday, down a half cent. January soybeans tumbled to a sharply lower close on Monday. Bean bears supporting a breakdown below 864 this week could turn the near-term trend definitely to the bearish camp. January soybeans at 878 and three quarters up a nickel an hour into the trading day. A mix in wheat futures, one to two higher in Chicago. Fractional changes Kansas City and Minneapolis spring wheat. Losses for livestock at the Merck on a Tuesday with live cattle futures trending 20 to 67 cents lower. Feeder cattle 27 to 77 lower an hour into the day. Lean hog futures 60 cents to $1.37 lower. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 495 points, S&P down 44, January crude oil in New York down $3.15. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. I'm broadcasting today from Bloomington Normal, <laughs> Illinois, side of the Illinois Corn Growers Association annual meeting. Joining me now is David Crow, president of DCLRS, uh, a group that uh, is representing Illinois corn growers in, in Washington, D.C. David, thank you for being with us. We have to start with Farm Bill, of course. Uh, we're hopeful that something uh, we're going to see some details soon. If not this week, then the next week. Does it sound like they're close to you? I think it does sound like they're close. I think that you're going to see something come out about a week from now. Um, I don't think the Republicans in the House feel their situation gets better when Congress flips to the Democratic side. So they see the writing on the wall. They're going to have to compromise. 
I think Ranking Member Peterson, soon to be Chairman Peterson, doesn't want to revisit these issues. And on the Senate side, the situation, even though the Republicans picked up a couple of seats, they didn't get to 60, and 60 is what you would need uh, to overturn any of the Democratic um, measures. So from my sense, both sides see that this is the best time, and no one wants to do it next Congress. It seems there's a lot of pressure on House Chairman Mike Conaway. To, they're gonna, he's going to have to move on some of these issues like SNAP to get more in line with, uh, with the Senate and even with Colin Peterson. How much is he willing to move? How much flexibility does he have to move? Well, I think the chairman has a lot of flexibility. And our own member, Rodney Davis, <coughs> who's been fighting hard on the worker protection standards, um, they both really want uh, to win for their caucus, but they're smart guys. And I think they see that, that they're going to have to compromise. Um, again, it doesn't get better for them. It gets worse. Um, they're smart guys. I think they're going to make a deal and call it a day, and we'll have a farm bill before they go home in December. But that's just me. There's the other side of this is that the Republicans in the House um, are pretty adamant about their position, and they could stop the conference and we'd go to an extension. But if I were a betting man, I'd bet we get it done. Yeah, it would seem putting it off into next year <clears throat> doesn't serve agriculture very well. It'd probably be even harder to get funding and the money that uh, that's in this farm bill. I agree. I think if you look at the new house, it's a lot greener. It's going to throw in climate change. It's going to do a lot of things that uh, would probably not help production agriculture, particularly here in, in Illinois. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. There's been extensions many, many times. We know that can happen. We know it's very hard to get parties to agree, particularly in a lame duck. But I still see all the signals saying that we will. Even though getting uh, a bill out of conference committee, you still got to get the votes when it gets to the floor. You never know in a lame duck session just how, how that might go. Well, you're so smart about this. You're, you're exactly right. You've got to get 218 votes in the House, and you need 60 in the Senate. That means you need at least eight Democrats. So this, this is no slam dunk. Um, and I think Conway knows that, too. Getting something through the House has been easy for him. Getting anything through the Senate has been anything but. And Colin Peterson's made it clear that it, if, if it's a bill that he likes, similar to the Senate bill, he can deliver quite a few Democratic votes. He can, he can deliver a lot of votes. He's got a good pipeline to leadership. Uh, Mr. Peterson reads the tea leaves about as well as they can be read. He's a smart guy. And, and again, he and I think Mike Conaway are tired of dealing with the farm bill. And we need a farm bill. We need uh, the assurance particularly when you look at the trade things we face, the fact that we still have low prices. Agriculture could use a boost, and I think it doesn't serve anyone in agriculture to drag this out and uh, even make an uncertain conclusion because you don't know what the new Congress would do. We're broadcasting today from the Illinois Corn Growers Association annual meeting. We're talking with David Crow, who represents uh, Illinois corn growers in Washington, D.C. David, let's talk about the makeup of the new Congress when we get to the new year. Um, Democrats will have control of the House again. Republicans still have the Senate. One of the things early on that will be uh, debated, of course, will be the new agreement with Canada and Mexico, USMCA. 
Uh, already we're hearing some people start to be a little critical of it, saying we want this, this. Uh, how do you see that going? Well, I don't see it going well. Trade worries me more than almost anything except ethanol <laughs> because the, some of the critics have said, well, you didn't get that much better of a trade deal. And on the Democratic side, they're not going to be excited about helping President Trump because they don't like all the trade turmoil that's been created. I see this as a very difficult issue uh, for both parties, but particularly for President Trump and the Republicans. This is not going to be easy. Um, some say it'll come down to the unions, labor unions. <coughs> without their support, chances of getting it passed would be very difficult. I would say without the unions, almost zero. Um, they have been with Trump on trade, as we know, in the sense that they all want to redo these trade deals to make them better for the American worker. But I don't know that this deal changes it enough to make some huge statement. Um, Labor's going to have to give him more assurance than that, and Trump's going to have to be more willing to work with Congress than he has in the past. From a corn grower standpoint, do you see a lot of difference in the New Deal compared to the uh, old NAFTA? No, a lot of talk, not a lot of difference. Uh, from my perspective, I don't see it. I just don't. So it kind of falls in line with what many ag groups said going in, do no harm. Now, some might question whether harm has been done in the process or not, but uh, in, in the end result, if it's passed, it seems to be pretty similar for, from a corn grower standpoint. I, I agree, and yeah, I think the relationships between Canada, Mexico, and the United States have been frayed um, in this era. We know there's been a lot of fraying with uh, foreign leaders and, and our own leadership. So uh, to me, do no harm. Get through this as quick as you can, and don't look for any silver bullet. It's just not there. Looking ahead to the new Congress, it'll be the dynamic will be interesting to see. As you said, will the president uh, work more with them? You, we're talking about a president that will be getting closer to his own reelection. That may figure into it. Well, it figures into it a lot. And, you know, one of the things I believe, and I may be on my own here, um, I think the Democrats go after Trump with everything they have. I think the Mueller investigation gets more difficult. I think they get subpoena power. They're going to try to audit his taxes. The chairman of Ways and Means can ask for any American's tax return. I think you're going to see investigation after investigation. This could devolve into some sort of a Bill Clinton-style impeachment next two years. Trump's going to have to be far less confrontational. I think he'll be even more confrontational. I think you're going to see two years of fireworks. And it also makes me wonder if, if Congress, especially the House, is, is so focused on investigations and things like that, how much is going to get done other than that? I mean, there's some big issues, immigration and others, that need to be uh, worked on and resolved. I wonder if these other issues, though, the investigation and everything, will just uh, eat up all the time and their energy. Well, you read my mind. I think we've got six to nine months for this new Congress, hopefully something on infrastructure, hopefully some things on trade. God forbid that we have to do the farm bill. But after that, you look at a half a dozen Democrats have already announced for president or will, Elizabeth Warren and others. Uh, these investigations are going to get very, very difficult. I think a year from now, all you'll hear about is 2020 politics. It's discouraging for me. When I first came to work in Washington, uh, the campaigns were much shorter. The, the partisanship was much less. There was a big overlap, particularly in ag. To see it fray to this point where there just seems to be a shouting contest, 
um, is demoralizing. And I think the next two years, American people are going to be not happy with all the fighting and not much work done. Now, we have already heard some comments made on both sides that maybe infrastructure is an area that could get some bipartisan support. I thought that early on. I thought that would be one of the first things they did after, you know, two years ago. But, it, you know, we're still talking about it. Do you see some movement there? I do. I think whoever becomes Speaker of the House, and, and again, maybe it is Pelosi, but I don't think so, they're going to want to show some movement. The Democrats only have about an 18-seat lead when you think they can't lose many of their own members. They're going to have to show some progress. If Republicans are smart, and I think they are, they want that too. Yes, infrastructure should have been the first thing that, that went a couple of years back. Um, they need to stop trying to repeal all the Obamacare stuff and doing some of the things that have been done over and over. Infrastructure is a burning issue in this country. It affects all 435 districts very much affects Illinois. Our locks and dams are a disgrace in terms of how we've maintained them. Yes, this is a win-win for everybody, and it can easily get done before the breakdown about a year from now. I think you touched on it, too. It is an issue that affects every member of Congress. So, you know, all politics local, I mean, that obviously is one that uh, should be on their radar screen. It should. I know in my own Washington, D.C. area, there are more potholes than anything else I can count, except for disgruntled politicians. And wherever I travel, I see this, and I think we all do. Airports, bridges, locks and dams, um, infrastructure is a mess. And it's gotten worse and worse over the last decade or two, and it's got, something's got to be done about it. And then all the other issues for corn growers like uh, E15, does it get approved for year-round? And, uh, I mean, it's going to be a huge year in 2019. It's going to be a huge year. I think this E15 decision is really good for us, of course. Uh, we've got a lot more work to do. Um, I worry about the um, Energy Act expiring in 2022. I think our leadership, Rod, all of us are very focused on that. And we know we have much work to do, and we need to do it, like, now. Yeah, we've, we've talked so long about challenges to the RFS, and here it's, it's soon getting to that 2022, and where do we go beyond there? That's going to be a key issue for sure. David, thank you very much. Appreciate it. I enjoyed it very much. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. David Crow represents Illinois corn growers in Washington, D.C. From the Illinois Corn Growers Annual Meeting in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, uh, stay with us. Much more to come here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You've got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800 664 2612. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. 
Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. I'm in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois today for the Illinois Corn Growers Association annual meeting. A lot of talk about sustainability. I'm joined now by Randy Stauffer, Sustainable Agriculture Consultant. Uh, Randy, when we talk about sustainability, I know there are a lot of different things going on. Uh, I think the main thing we're seeing more of an awareness of the need to um, keep those nutrients on the field, protect uh, water quality, uh, improve soil health. Uh, this has become a bigger and bigger issue, and more and more people are getting involved. Yes, we uh, support a principle of working with field to market. Uh, it is a diverse collaboration working to create agricultural supply chain. Uh, it's continuous improvement in productivity, uh, environmental quality, and human well-being. Uh, the definition of sustainability is something that many people try to define and few people can agree upon. So consequently, Field to Market puts together a structure based on metrics that allows for continuous improvement in uh, the field in row crops. I think especially early on there was a feeling that farmers were concerned that, wait a minute, we're going to have to do a lot of things, it's going to cost us a lot of money, How we markets are, are low right now, how are we going to do this and, and stay in business? How do we make this work? Um, through Working with Field to Market and PCM, which is Precision Conservation Management, we have different partners that are working with us. They, are, they come from all backgrounds, farmers, agribusiness companies, brands, retail and civil society, academia and public sector partners, each committed for continuous improvement. Some are providing funding for us to look at various tools such as cover crops and different tillage practices to improve not only the bottom line for the farmer, uh, along with his environmental impact. Putting the two together is the key to making it work. It's in everybody's best interest for this to work. The consumer wants to see more transparency through the programs that we're working with uh, in the organizations we're providing the transparency and the value to the farmer with trusted advisors out in there working with each individual farmer. And we know there's more scrutiny on farmers now than there ever has been by society watching what comes off those fields, these environmental issues. It's not a matter of uh, if a farmer wants to address these, they're going to have to to stay in business moving forward. Certainly. There's about three areas we try to focus on. Soil health, uh, nutrient management uh, are two of the, the main areas that we work with farmers on demonstrating the tools that help them in reducing their impact and still maintaining or increasing their return on investment on their fields. And it's important for agriculture to be able to show uh, it, can, it can do this on its own without 
regulation and mandates from the federal government. Well, that's right. And farmers can take pride in the fact that over the decades they have demonstrated a reduced environmental impact in their fields without regulation. Now there are situations because of uh, nutrient management uh, uh, issues, nutrients getting off the fields that we are stepping up and looking at tools like cover crops to manage that aspect of their operation and demonstrating value for them and educating the, the farmer with trusted advisors on how that can be done uh, to benefit their operations. I don't think agriculture has received near, nearly enough credit for the accomplishments that have been made so far. But on the other hand, more has to be done. Certainly. Um, each business uh, is focused on better return on investment in a tight year when commodity prices are low. So it's very important to work with trusted advisors and the work that we've been able to bring together with the uh, variety of partners to demonstrate cost sharing as well as information to, to better their bottom line as well as their environmental impact. What are ways farmers can, and can make even more changes uh, to improve sustainability on their farm? Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, for corn production, fertilizing is important. The timing of the fertilizer, uh, the amount of the fertilizer to obtain the maximum yields are all areas we can work on. Cover crops to maintain uh, off-season the nitrogen and phosphorus in the soil profile uh, are some of the aspects that we're looking at helping farmers to understand. Not all farmers are sold on cover crops. Not all farmers are able to make cover crops work, uh, but there are varieties of different cover crops. There's academia working on different solutions to provide farmers information, and each farmer takes his, uh, his fields and looks at it in a way that is unique to him, and I think as we move forward, we will see unique uh, applications of cover crops that will adapt to many, many farmers' uh, operations. It's kind of like a lot of other technologies or, or when you start to implement something new, there is a learning curve, there, there's that beginning phase, and it kind of gets better as, as we go along, right? Certainly, equipment becomes better, the way the products and uh, the practices are handled becomes better, and the acceptance uh, becomes better as we move forward in the process. And there are more programs, the field to market the program and others. There are more, there's more information available to farmers now all the time about these sustainability issues. That's exactly right. Uh, PCM is Precision Conservation Management. We have uh, trusted advisors, I'll call them uh, specialists, that go out and work with each individual farmer, giving them data that is uh, not something from Indiana or Nebraska, but is data that's developed locally that they can look at and evaluate and decide whether it's something that is being done locally will benefit them on their specific farm. And these efforts are going on in states all across the country? Certainly. The uh, field of market has, uh, I think, 33 states dealing with projects uh, similar to what we're doing here in Illinois. In Illinois, we're working with PCM with uh, different companies, uh, Mars, Pepsi, uh, PCN, to uh, develop projects and, and practices that uh, help the farmer. It's a huge issue for all of agriculture, wherever you're farming uh, throughout, throughout the United States, and uh, one that we're going to be talking much more about in the days. 
Randy Stauffer has been our guest. Uh, he's the uh, sustainable agriculture consultant uh, working with the Illinois corn growers on these uh, very important environmental issues. Randy, thank you very much. Thank you. Happy uh, Thanksgiving to you and your listeners. With that, we wrap it up from the Illinois Corn Growers Annual Meeting in Bloomington Normal. Thanks for joining us on AOA Adams on Agriculture.